0: Turn in your Bibles to Matthew, or excuse me, Mark, we're in Mark's gospel and we're a series on Mark. And the title of this series is Who is Jesus? The life of Christ in the gospel of Mark. And our scripture today is going to be in uh, excuse me, Mark, chapter two, verses twenty three through the end of two. And then chapter three, verses one through six. Last week we were. Um, able to look at some kind of scandalous scenes in the ministry of Jesus, the early ministry of Jesus. And uh, now we, we were only able to look at three of five scandalous scenes. And so today we're going to look at the last two of those uh, controversial uh, incidences in the life of Jesus ministry. And so if you will follow along while I read in Mark chapter 2, verses 23, beginning of verse 23, and we'll read into chapter 3, verse 6. One Sabbath, he, that is Jesus, was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you ever read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, excuse me, entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. grieved at the hardness of their heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out immediately and held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. This is the reading of God's word. Let's say thanks be to God. So if you recall in Last week, we looked at the first three of the scandalous scenes that uh, begin in Jesus' ministry. In chapter one, we saw Jesus, uh, the beginning of his ministry that began with the, the, his baptism and then his temptation. And then he started to go through and all of Galilee. He was proclaiming the gospel, and large crowds were following him. And he started to call various disciples. Called Simon Andrew, he called James and John, and later he called uh, uh, Matthew or Levi to be his disciples. And then at the end of this, or in the the middle of all of this, we have some of the examples of Jesus's ministry. And some of the scandals that would take place. The crowd's reaction was amazement and gratitude and wonder at who this guy Jesus was. But some of the religious leaders were a little scandalized by what he had done. And so last week we saw at the beginning of chapter three, uh, chapter 2, we had the healing of the paralytic. Where some friends had brought this paralytic man to Jesus as he was in a, a home in Capernaum. And they, the crowd was so large that they couldn't come in. So they decided to tear the roof off of the home and lower the man in. So that Jesus could heal him, and interestingly, Jesus doesn't heal him right away. He looks at their faith of him and all of his friends, and he said, "Your sons, your your sins are forgiven." And this created a, a great deal of controversy because who has authority to forgive sins except God alone? And that's what they were wondering in their hearts, and that's what Jesus knew. And he addressed and he said, "Which is which is easier to?" say get up off your mat and walk or to say your sins are forgiven and he demonstrated the authority that he had to forgive the sins by healing the man there so jesus had the audacity the 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 authority to forgive sins to have the power to forgive sins that's the first scandal that we saw the second one was the calling of levi why is this scandalous because levi was a tax collector And which was synonymous with sinner in Jesus' day, because you were a traitor, you were a lackey for the Roman Empire that was oppressing you, and you were getting exorbitantly wealthy uh, through the extortion of your fellow Jews. And yet this is the one that Jesus comes to and calls and invites him to come and to, to be his disciple. Gives you a picture of the type of person that Jesus welcomes into his group. Of course, this creates a a great deal of scandal with the Pharisees and the religious leaders because this guy, Jesus, is eating with sinners. He's fellowshipping with tax collectors. And as Jesus said, the sick are the ones who need a physician, not the not the well. I have come to call sinners to repentance. And so Jesus, the scandal of Jesus' ministry is his fellowship with sinners and then calling him to follow him. And then thirdly, we saw the question about uh, fasting. Where John's disciples fast? The Pharisees' disciples fast? But Jesus' disciples don't fast. And the scandal here was that Jesus rejected their human traditions that added fast onto fast onto fast when the Old Testament law only required it once A year in preparation for the day of atonement. And so Jesus rejected those human traditions. So here we see today the the next two of those five scenes. And the first one is this plucking of grain on the Sabbath. Verse 23. On the Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. That's kind of the scene here. Jesus and his disciples are journeying, sojourning through, uh, probably on their ministry journeys as they're going from town to town, preaching the gospel. And as they're going through, um, they're plucking off the grain fields and they're not their own fields. These are other people's fields that they own and maintain. And Jesus, Jesus and his disciples are plucking off the grain. And they're getting this accusation. Now, who is doing this accusation? Well, it's the Pharisees. These are the the religious leaders of Israel in that day. And their accusation to Jesus is that what he and his disciples are doing is not lawful. It's not lawful, they say. Verse 24. Look, why are you doing what is not lawful? Now, what is not lawful about it? It's not just the picking of grain. Leviticus Uh, 19 makes it very clear that as you're sojourning, or if you're poor, the instructions to all of Israel was to not glean to the very edges of your field, but were to leave some of it for the poor, uh, the widow, the foreigner, and to those who were sojourning through. You were to leave an opportunity for them to be able to eat. And so this is not. Uh, So the accusation is not that they were plucking grain and stuff that is not theirs. The problem is, as it says at the end of verse 24, it's that it's not lawful on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath. The Sabbath is very uh, important in Israel life and Israel thought. It's the fourth of the Ten Commandments. The Israelites were required and called by God to to honor the Sabbath and to keep it holy. And they were to do no work on the Sabbath. Now, eventually, by this point in history, by the time we get from uh, the giving of the Ten Commandments by Moses, uh, all throughout all of Israel's history, up until the days of Jesus, the religious leaders, these Pharisees and the scribes, had to... uh, started to try and interpret for people what that meant. What does honoring the Lord on the Sabbath and not working meant? What did it mean? What did it mean for them? Could you do this? Certain scenario was, were these sorts of things permitted? What was permitted and what weren't? And they developed an entire system of rules and they're kind of debating back and forth and trying to, Spell all of these things out, um, and these were very detailed. And plucking grain was one of the thirty-nine different kinds of work that would have been forbidden on the Sabbath under the prevailing regulations. Well, uh, not the plucking of of grain, but the harvesting of grain would have been one of the things that would have been prohibited. They had lots of different things like this. You couldn't. Uh, you couldn't. If you carried metal, then you were kind of working. And so if, uh, you, if you had anything with metal in it, you couldn't pick it up or use it on, on the Sabbath. Um, I've heard stories before. Uh, I wasn't able to verify this. I went to kind of verify it and look and see. But here would be one of the examples of the discussions that they would, they would talk about. Uh, Some wouldn't wear sandals, or at least there was a debate that some wouldn't wear sandals if they were shod with with nails on the bottom because the reasoning is, well, that's metal. And if you're picking up metal while you're working or if you're picking up metal, uh, even if you're walking, that's kind of working, that's doing labor. And therefore, you shouldn't do that on the Sabbath. There would be all kinds of rules and regulations of how far somebody could walk, even if they didn't have any metal in their sandals. So that's why you see some places in the New Testament where there's a, a Sabbath day journey away. What that means is how long a person is allowed to walk according to all of these pharisaical rules. How long could somebody walk on the Sabbath? And so uh, and even things like forbidden, you couldn't carry children. I mean, uh, you couldn't give help to somebody who was uh, like if an animal was giving birth, you couldn't help him in that on the Sabbath. I mean, poor for mama cows, if they were giving birth on, on the Sabbath. Um, and so this was, this was the period in the time, this is the, the issue that, uh, that Jesus and his disciples are encountering. This is the accusation that he's hearing from them. Now, notice what Jesus' answer is back to them. They were, their accusation is what they were doing was not uh, lawful on the Sabbath. And Jesus responds to them in verse 25. And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him. Now, this is very fascinating what Jesus does here. He does this very frequently with his debates with the religious leaders. Who are the experts on the the scriptures, right? And it's kind of, ironic his question have you not read in the scriptures like didn't didn't you read have you not read this Uh, it's could be kind of a little bit a little bit snarky a little bit sarcastic or it could have just been kind of the the rabbinical way of doing that is debating back and forth Uh, well didn't you read here in this place and then notice uh, how what he directs them to he says, have you not read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him. They goes on to say how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any of the priests, uh, any but the priests to eat and also gave it to those who were with him. I invite you to turn to first Samuel in the Old Testament. Let's take a look at this this scene briefly 1st Samuel chapter 21 is where this story occurs 1st Samuel 21 now if you kind of flip to the left of that passage if you turn to 1st Samuel chapter 16 we can kind of see by the headings here in the ESV In 16, we are told the story about how David was anointed as king. Saul was the king of Israel, the first king of Israel. The people of Israel were demanding a king like all of the nations had. And the Lord God had kind of uh, conceded and would allow them to have a king. He told them, you're going to probably regret Who you're going to get. And they chose Saul because he was head and shoulders above everybody else. But eventually Saul had lost favor in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord had decided to anoint a different king. And so we know the story He goes to um, the house of Jesse and Jesse brings out his sons and he says, here's this, this son. Here's my oldest son. Here's my second. Here's my third and all the way down. And none of them were anointed by the Lord. And he goes, didn't you have anybody else? And, well, just little David. And they brought David in. And the Lord, through Samuel the prophet, anoints David as king over Israel, even while Saul is reigning. The next chapter, we see David and Goliath. Remember the people of Israel on one hill. The Philistines are on the other. Goliath comes out and is taunting the people of Israel. And Saul and his army, no one goes to to fight. And little David, when he shows up and hears what Goliath says, he goes, that's defying. The, he's defying our God. And so David goes out and we know the story slings the stone and kills Goliath. Well, with this, you see Saul start to get a little uh, anxious, paranoid, concerned, jealous. Over the crowds and following that David is getting. David ends up marrying Saul's daughter. And Saul just gets more and more paranoid. And Saul finally decides that he is going to try and kill David. And Saul's son, Jonathan, who is friends with David, goes and warns David about it. And so what we have here in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 21, you have David kind of on the run. He's not commanding an army anymore. He's all by himself. And as he's on the run, fleeing from Saul and from those who Saul has commissioned to take David's life, we see this in chapter 21, verse 1. David came to Nob to Ahimelech, the priest, and Ahimelech came to, da- to meet David, trembling, and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? Ahimelech's a little concerned here because David, David has been a commander of Uh, A commander in Saul's army. And now he's kind of here by himself. Whoa, what's going on here? And David said to Ahimelech the priest. The king has charged me with a matter. And he said to me, let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you. And with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now, then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. And the priest answered, David, I have no common bread on hand. But there is holy bread if the young men have kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest, truly, women have kept, been kept from us as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy even when it is on an ordinary journey. How much more today would their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread, from, uh, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which was removed from before the presence of the Lord. To be replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away. So here is the story that Jesus is referring to. He comes to the high priest. Ahimelech, a priest there in Nob. Now, the tabernacle was located in this place during this time. It was still kind of wandering around. The Ark of the Covenant was there. And the bread of the presence. That existed right outside of the holy place was there. It's the 12 loaves of bread that were kind of each one representing one of the, the the tribes of Israel are placed outside of this. This is the bread that David is given by the priest. And notice how David is kind of being deceptive and vague here with uh Ahimelech the priest saying that he's kind of on a secret mission for the king and that he's going to be meeting these soldiers Later. But he ends up receiving this bread. And this is the story that Jesus is using to kind of make a point. Look at what Jesus says. Have you not read what David did? He was in need and hungry, and he and those who were with him. And notice how he kind of agrees here in verse 26 and that David ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. Do you remember this story, guys? Jesus does suggest that what technically what David doing is is lawful. What's what's Jesus point here? Jesus shows that it is necessary on occasions. To show that on occasions it is necessary. Uh. When necessity, let me say it this way. There are occasions when necessity can overrule the legalism. Or uh, Jesus is saying here that he has authority to um, have his human need take over, take precedence over the ceremonial law. Okay, that's, This is what's kind of scandalous here. Jesus has authority for himself to determine when the law is set aside in special circumstances. And he's pointing back to this, to the scriptures, to this story where David is unlawfully taking this holy bread. What Jesus is doing here is quite fascinating. We're going to get to here in a moment. But here's the principle that Jesus lays down in the next verse. Notice verse 27. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man, for the Sabbath. Because remember, what is the the issue? Verse 23, Jesus is plucking grain on the Sabbath. The Pharisees say in verse 24, this is not lawful on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Jesus was uh, contending with their perversion of what the Sabbath meant and the Sabbath involved. So here it really becomes a, a clarifying of this relationship between human life and Sabbath. Okay, that's the question here. Sabbath and man, which one is more important? Which one takes a greater priority? Which one serves the other? Which one is served by the other? Which one is superior to one or the other? If the Sabbath is superior to man, then these regulations... That all of the Pharisees and the scribes were adding concerning the Sabbath regulations uh, must be followed because man is to serve the Sabbath. Okay, human beings then are secondary. What matters most is the Sabbath. And so humans live in service, service to the Sabbath. This is what the, the Pharisees approach was. But on the other hand, if you're asking the question, which of these two is greater authority, which one is superior, which one has precedent or the other, and you go man has precedence over the Sabbath, then man, then the Sabbath exists for man. And so what is done and not done on the Sabbath is for man and for man's benefit and serves man. And that's Jesus point here. Man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. So all of the pharisaical regulations that were uh, were given to make the Sabbath supreme. Jesus upends all of this. But Jesus goes even further and he says this in verse 28. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So a couple of things that's very interesting here that Jesus is doing. First, here he uses this phrase, son of man, which is this divine title. Daniel chapter seven. It's a title for this divine, the divine coming of the Lord God in human form. And this is the way that Jesus most often refers to himself and to his to his ministry. And so Jesus is claiming authority over the Sabbath. And then going back to his use of this scripture passage, he makes something else is very interesting here. Notice he says, have you not read what David did? David. David is the anointed one. David is the anointed king the messiah who is going to come comes as a king like david right we saw this in chapter we saw this in chapter 1 the son of god the messiah the son of god and its connections with david and the promise that god gave to to david that one of your descendants I will be a father to him and he shall be a son. And he is going to reign on the throne forever and ever. So Jesus might be connecting here to the fact that he is this Messiah. Jesus is the one who gives the proper understanding of what the Sabbath is all about. He has the authority to say, this is what Sabbath Is all about. This is what Sabbath rest is for. So this is the first of the Sabbath controversies. And what Jesus is claiming about himself here. And here's the second Sabbath controversy. Here's another Sabbath scandal. And the scandal for both of these is similar. Chapter three. And again, he entered the synagogue perhaps in Capernaum. And a man was there with a withered hand and they watched Jesus to see whether they would heal him on the Sabbath because apparently that was also unlawful for them to do. That's why they might be able to accuse him, they say at the end of verse two. So that sets the scene and then now we see what Jesus does. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. So no dialogue, no debate, perhaps Mark doesn't tell us, but perhaps Jesus knows in his heart, in his spirit, again, what it is that they're attempting to do, trying to catch him here on one of these things. And he realizes what's happening, and he calls the man with the withered hand over, and he says to all of them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. Silence in Mark is going to be an interesting thing that we will see when you have silence in the face of Jesus in one of his questions. In, uh, I think, just about every single context, it was one, a silence of the authority of what he was talking about. There's no comeback. They couldn't say anything. And then you see this in verse five. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And said to the man, stretch out your hand. Have you ever thought about what it is that grieves Jesus? Have you ever thought about what it is that angers Jesus? It's one of the, the few places where we see the anger of Jesus. You ever pictured Jesus angry? You ever grow up in Sunday school class and see a, an angry flannel graph of Jesus? You know, you know yelling, stern face. Kind of rare. But when you read the scriptures, it's there. Jesus gets angry. And he gets grieved in his spirit. And he gets angry and grieved because of the total hardness of heart. That would say, you're looking to trap me for healing a man just because it takes place on the Sabbath. What what is lawful on the Sabbath? Isn't it to do good? What is lawful to do on the Sabbath? Is it to heal? The Pharisees would have their their regulations on giving treatment or healing or care or medical care on the Sabbath. And they, they honestly had in their dialogues, if it's life-threatening, okay. But if it can wait till Sunday, you can do it then. And Jesus, that's what grieves Jesus. That's what hardens that's what grieves him in his heart. That's what makes him angered, is the hardness of the heart of the self righteous persons. So Jesus says, Stretch out your hand. And his hand was stretched out and it was restored. Here's the scandal Jesus is claiming authority for when it is appropriate to overturn the, quote, law. Jesus has authority. Jesus is not just doing these kind of edgy, scandalous kind of things. What is happening behind all of these incidences? Jesus is claiming the authority. I'm going to tell you what the Sabbath's is about. Jesus has the authority to say. This is what the scripture truly says. Jesus is the one who has the authority To say. This is what forgiveness of sins is. That's what Jesus uh, authority. I love these pictures. The beginning of Mark's gospel. It tells us the supreme authority of Jesus over creation. Over physical healings. Over sin. And over. Their interpretation, the religious leaders' interpretation of the law. Jesus is offensive to the self-righteous. And that's why it says in verse 6, The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Jesus is a marked, wanted man from now on. But let's let's pause and think about the love that Jesus has and the authority that he has. Jesus comes to forgive you. Jesus comes to heal you spiritually, to bring healing to your bodies in many cases Jesus comes to do this and he does it to demonstrate his supreme rule and authority over everything. But to the self-righteous, Jesus is quite offensive. My prayer is that we would be like the ones who are weak and wounded and broken who come to Jesus. That we are the ones that humbly come and just to receive the the love and the healing and the forgiveness that he offers i pray that we would not ever grieve or anger jesus with the hardness of our hearts and our self-righteousness let's look at jesus with the awe and wonder and amazement as the one and only one who has the authority that he has let's pray shall we Father God, we thank you just so much for the amazing authority of your son, Jesus. God, we thank you that he is ruling and reigning even now. And that his authority extends to even us here today. God, I pray that we would all see in these stories and bow our knees to the one and only ruler. To the one and only true king. To the true son of man and son of God. God, we pray that you would help us to live in a way that demonstrates our dependence and faith upon him we pray this in christ's mighty name and all god's people said amen, amen and amen would you stand for closing benediction now brothers and sisters may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you as you go. Thank you.